I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey folks, this is Kevin. Just a few words before we start. Well, pretty much everyone I know is now talking about this new movie, Sleepwalk With Me, by our dear friend Mike Birbiglia. Now, Mike is one of the very best storytellers in America today. I can't imagine who would not like Mike. He's just as smart as he is just a down-to-earth, lovable guy. And this film is a perfect expression of that. You know, these stories were originally on This American Life, and then he created this one-man show, Sleepwalk With Me, out of it that I saw live here in New York. One of the best solo shows I have ever seen. Both hilarious and touching and insightful. I was just reading Roger Ebert, wondering if Mike might be the next Woody Allen. And lots of other wonderful comedians who have been on Risk are also in the movie. So listen, if it's not in a theater near you, you can actually help bring it to a theater near you. Go to ifcfilms.com. Look for Sleepwalk With Me. Now here's the show. The show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is our dear friend Sean Lee behind me now. And this is also our 100th episode. <laughs> Cause for celebration. So I, I am so proud. You know, we've brought you, by my count, 424 stories so far. And I'm ready to go... <laughs> for 5,000 more. 
They just made that up. But uh, I'm dead serious. Now, we do have new stories for you today. This is, we're calling this episode, <laughs> Christ, I, I almost died on episode 100. We've just made it through a new milestone, my uh, not choking to death, <laughs> the, the first step toward the next 5,000 stories. All right, we're calling today's episode Brutal Youth, because growing pains can be so traumatic. But before we launch into the new stories, I want to I, I want to just, you know, take a little walk back through some clips here of uh, some of our favorite quotes that you guys, the fans are regularly quoting back at us from stories past. You know, people often say, "Well, what's the difference between you guys and say The Moth or This American Life?" And there are a lot of differences actually. And we love those shows. <laughs> but if you listen to this little montage here, I think you'll hear some some of the kinds of things that you might not be hearing on those other shows. Check this out. He said, tie the shoes to your balls. He's very frustrated. Like he's thinking, you know, how'd this guy get this far in life without learning how to tie shoes to his balls? I can see his defenseless balls just hanging there. But I try to ignore it and just focus on his bare ass. So I went to poot. <laughs> and instead of just pooting, I released a floodgate of diarrhea into my shorts. I'm talking about quarts of diarrhea. I'm not sure if anyone who's listening to this has ever Googled dog anus. In retrospect, I've Googled it several times, and I've learned a thing or two about dog anuses as compared to human anuses. Then, I take his pinus, and I rub my face in it! My heart stopped, and I go, were you just eating pussy? And he goes, like, the way he thought about it, it was like a magician that guessed his card. He was like, yes! And so the last thing I see as she shuts the door behind me is her puffy cheeked with my semen in her mouth. So then I went downstairs and I saw Anchorman. On Sunday, I was reading the Bible to the children. And now I'm on the drugs. <laughs> That's how it happens. I was just in sheer panic that if my grandmother or grandfather hugged me the wrong or right way that I would truly just climax on them by accident. And all this hot, dead goat piss flies into his open mouth. And I was just like, yes! I don't know if you've been shot in the face before, but it's terribly not fun. And she says, if you ever lie to me again, I will punch a hole in your face. <laughs> I know. And then I smacked him across the face, and I was like, did you fuck her? And he was like, no. And I smacked him across the face, and he was like, did you fuck her? And he was like, no. And I smacked him across the face, and he said, did you fuck her? And he said, yes. And I was like, it worked. And she runs up to me, and I'm like, hey. And she's like, how are you doing? And I don't know what happened, but I exploded in tears. And it was so beautiful, because she looks at me, and she goes, not so good, huh? <laughs> I 
But luckily, he quickly changes the subject of my impending sword doom by spitting blood all over my face. Oh, are you the guys not into that? Me neither! You know, I go, sucking dick, sucking dick, sucking dick. What? Sucking dick, 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 sucking dick. I suck so much dick, it's ridiculous. I've gotten so much dick, I'm fucking sick of this. Dick, sucking dick, sucking dick, sucking dick. And I'm naked, I'm holding a camera. And there's like 900 starving gay men staring at me and cheering. There's about 50 guys running around us in a circle like crazy Indians with war paint on their faces, completely naked. I open up the milkshake, I dip my balls in this milkshake, and pain courses through my body like I had been shot with a freeze gun. This is not what you're supposed to do. I accidentally drunk dialed Katie's house and now I'm jerking off talking to her 15 year old boy. So now I'm humping garbage you guys. Oh my god I had been watching my parents having sex and masturbating to them. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And then I realize I'm unconscious. Just a little taste. And all of those episodes are still available. We're going to hear a little more later. And then next week, we're going to focus on some of our more serious stories of the past three years. I want to get to a story by Seth Morris now. Seth is a truly brilliant actor and improviser. Right now, he can be found on TV on Children's Hospital and Go On. So here is Seth Morris at the Risk Live show in Los Angeles with a story we call A Fistful of Mild Sauce. Um, so I am from, originally I'm from Northern California, and um, when I lived in New York, everybody, all my friends sort of defined me as, oh, this guy's such a NorCal dude, he's so, he's so mellow, he's so laid back, he's like, I do yoga, and I like to mountain bike and all this stuff, but the thing that a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of people do yoga and that type of mellow stuff because they're not fucking mellow, they're looking <laughs> to chill out. <laughs> That's why I do those things. Uh, because it has something and I don't. Um, and uh, there, and I, 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 one of the reasons I loved living in New York is, is I, it was, it's okay to be pissed off there. You don't have to be happy all the time, you know? And I find that very comforting and very truthful. And I guess they do it down here too, but in Northern California, you know, they say that phrase, it's all good, a lot. <laughs> and I fucking hate that phrase. <laughs> Because it's not true. There's lots of fucked up, shitty things all the time. So it's not all good. <laughs> now, another thing to, to keep in mind is right after I got to New York, even though I love the energy and all this stuff, I was like, man, this, it's so intense here. I, 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 said, I said, at any given time, within a block from each other, in New York City are two people who are about to lose their shit. You know? And most of the time they pass each other by, they take different routes and it's fine, but every once in a while they run into each other and it's a New York moment, you know? So this is, this is kind of about a New York moment. Um, 
I was living in New York, and um, when I say I was a broke-ass, struggling actor, that doesn't come close. I wasn't struggling. I was like, I, I, had, I had already struggled. I was twitching on the ground, you know? <laughs> I was baroque. I lived in a 7 by 15 foot room with a sink, and, uh, and then you shared a bathroom, a toilet, uh, and a shower with other people. Um, my friends called it the Gentleman's Hotel, we, you know. <laughs> And I moved in there because I kind of thought it would be like this kind of, I don't know, I romanticized not only poverty in general, but my poverty. I'm like, oh, this is, I'm paying my dues, you know, I'm fucking doing it. And I just, I was, at first I was like, it'll be like living in a Tom Waits video. It'll be awesome. It's all old timey and, you know, like. And for a while it was, and it was kind of a trip. And, but after a while it was just a bummer. It was just miserable. Like, like, you know, the, the romanticizing poverty is one thing and that kind of like hardcore, gritty life. But then when the reality is you see graffiti in your bathroom that's number seven is a junkie whore. You're like, oh boy. <laughs> you know, uh, there was a prostitute who lived there. There was like people, you know, spouses beating each other up. There was like hardcore alcoholics. It was crazy. And um, I, at the time I was taking an acting class and working in exchange for it and I was like 32 at the time and part of me was like oh, I'm a fucking loser I can't even afford this but and I was, another part was like no you're a badass because you're, you're suffering for your art and all this stuff don't laugh at that <laughs> <laughs> this is the myth that holds me together <laughs> um and just to back up, my, my, my best friend in the world uh, that I've known since third grade, this guy, we'll call him Tyler, um, was uh, always, he's the opposite of me. He's, he's uh, chipper and optimistic, and I'm kind of suspicious and pessimistic. He's got sisters. I've got a brother. His parents are married. My parents are divorced. He was in the house right across from me, and we would, like, throw pennies at each other's windows and talk, you know, tell, you know, talk at night and everything. Great guy. Awesome guy. And, uh, but at, at that year, this was in 2002. So, oh, that's the other thing. I forgot to say that the, the, the city was just in the beginning of 9-11, just this fucking New York, like everybody was just kind of in a funk. Um, and uh, my friend had been acting weird. He'd always been a, a hyper guy, uh, but he, he was starting to be, it was going beyond that. And... Uh, so I was cleaning up this acting class, and I got a call from another friend. He said, hey, man, have you talked to Tyler lately? And I said, no. And he goes, I just talked to him, and he's, he's not doing well. There's, there's something wrong with him. He's, he's saying all kinds of crazy stuff, like, you know. And he, him knowing that I was his oldest friend, so I, I, I called right away. And, you know, immediately it was, uh, I know where Osama bin Laden is, and I haven't slept for six days. I'm just, I, I wrote this poem, and I have this song. I've been thinking about you. And... I have stigmata, and what I realized uh, at the time, we found out he's manic depressive, and he was going through a manic uh, episode. A while after this, he ended up being hospitalized and all this stuff, but it was, you know, it was the first time that I was ever conscious of being heartbroken by something that wasn't a romantic relationship, because this was somebody who was, you know, a, a hero, a, 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 like a person who I was like, I want that guy's life. He's, he's got it better. And uh, on top of everything else, it was just, it was just, you know, it just felt like 
it's it's easy, you know, like I, I'm the kind of good person that goes from zero to fuck it in about 60 seconds. <laughs> so this was a nice trigger to be like, you know what, fuck it all. This is all bullshit. Oh, man. Um, so I went home and I, I, uh, I had to get some food. And um, right across the street from the Gentleman's Hotel, it's on 13th and 3rd, uh, there's a place called Cosmic Cantina. I was going to treat myself to like a $7 burrito. And then I was like, uh, no, you know what? Uh, I should save money. I'll go to Taco Bell down the street. Now, the thing is that I fucking love Taco Bell. And one of the reasons I love Taco Bell is that I used to go there every weekend with Tyler. From the time we were about in third grade, we would ride our bikes to Old Town and go to Taco Bell, and we'd always get two mild bean burritos, a regular tostada, a fucking Paul Bunyan Mountain Dew. <laughs> that meant a big one. And this dessert thing they had at the time called Cinnamon Crispus. <laughs> and I more or less get the same thing every time I go there. So it's, it's a definite comfort food. And it was, I was thinking in my head, like, oh, I'll go there for, you know, it'll be sort of like connecting with my, my bro. Um, and so I go in there, and um, another, another little thing about me is I think maybe there's a lot of guys, maybe people in general like this is that I secretly think I'm a badass I secretly feel like you do not want to fuck with me man not today bro in my head I'm always like saying shit like you don't want a piece of this shit man you know and the, in my mind the world's just lucky that somehow I hold it together and so I was particularly feeling like that and I'm waiting in line and I would go to this Taco Bell a lot and I was always nice to the people there, even though it's a shitty job, and because of my history with it and history with having shitty jobs, I, I don't take it personally if, they don't, if they're not super nice or anything. But there was this one kid who was always there and always a fucking dick, little scrappy <laughs> asshole kid. And um, sure enough, he's the only one behind the counter. And I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and, and what happened is he ignored me. He just, was, he just wouldn't look at me. And I could see him and he'd kind of like turn and make sure he didn't make eye contact with me and pretend to be fussing with the cups and this and that. And I'm hungry and I'm getting fucking mad and I'm like, so I start to formulate these different scenarios. I'm starting to make up the speech in my head that I'm going to say when he's made me wait too long. And they're cleaning up and I start, so I start thinking things like, okay, I'm going to grab that garbage can, I'm going to dump it upside down. <laughs> walk backwards and at the door I'm going to be like how can you treat people like this you motherfucker that was one the other was I was going to knock chairs over off the thing and I was going to go it's not my fault you hate your fucking job fuck you the one that I decided to do was there's a bunch of hot sauces right by the uh, register and so what I was going to do is I said I'm going to count to 60 if he doesn't take my order by that point I'm going to spray this stuff on the floor so I have to clean it up again and I'm going to go how could you do this to people it's not my fault you hate your job <laughs> fuck you <laughs> so I got to about 50 and he turned around and he went to take my order and he goes yeah well, what do you want and I go I'll have uh, two regular bean burritos and a, a regular tostada he goes oh no we're closed <laughs> and I saw my hand go up and I saw the sauce squirt out all over his face and his thing. And I go, you fucking asshole, you're going to keep me waiting here? How the fuck? He goes, why'd you squirt me with sauce, man? Why'd you do that? 
Now, I feel bad giving you this detail, but it's a detail. The manager of this place had cerebral palsy. And so when this guy's going like this, the manager goes, Jeff, don't! Don't do it, Jeff! And he goes, so he takes off his apron, he throws it down, he goes, come on. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I hadn't planned this part. I didn't know. And so I'm walking out, and everything starts to slow down, and I go out. And, uh, and I go, it's not my fault you hate your fuck. And he punches me in the face. And I kind of went like this. And then I punched him in the face. And then he threw me on a car. Oh, I forgot to tell you this. I was wearing a backpack, flip-flops, and glasses. So in my head, the visual was, you know, I'd throw the garbage can. I'd be like... Boom, you know, like, and I'd take it easy on him. But what happened is it looked like there was a noodle man who got pushed over by a little boy. And then he, uh, I went to pull him off and he bit me. He bit my thumb and drew blood. And then I was like, I didn't think you could do that, you know? So I pulled his hair. And then I heard, New York City police, don't fucking move. And these two undercover cops happened to be going by, and they pulled us apart, and I immediately was like, <laughs> and the reality of it just fell into place of like, I'm gonna go to jail for getting to a fight at Taco Bell <laughs> with this little kid. And the kid kept flashing, and he goes, don't you fucking, if you fucking hit me, I will break your fucking head, I swear to God. And he slowed down, and he pulled me apart. And then I had to say, like, almost on the verge of tears, he goes, what happened? And it's, there's no excuse. I said, he ignored me. (laughs) (laughs) My glasses were broken. And uh, he took, they went into the Taco Bell for a while, and then they came out, and, and the cop comes. He goes, hold on, this guy has something to say to you. And the manager came out, and he goes, just a detail. I'm not I'm just telling you. And he goes, never come in here again. And I go, yeah, that's not a problem. And then I walked home, and I cried, and I called my mom. I said, I don't fucking know how much longer I can stay here. So my big, tough interaction turned out to be a failure. <laughs> Thanks you guys. Observation if you are the voice of the generation, but I'm too self-absorbed to give it cloud. And I don't really care about anybody else when I haven't got my own life figured out. Cause when you're the board at 24 and don't know you, I know but there's no but it's hard to come on
This is Risk. This is No Hope by the vaccines behind me now. And uh, next up, we have Helen Hong. We do love Helen. You know, it's a funny thing. Um, we uh, I, I talk to the storytellers before they do the show, sometimes once, sometimes twice, over the phone usually, to hear the story and give them some feedback. And uh, Helen has done the show several times out in Los Angeles now. We've never met face-to-face. So when we were talking on the phone this last time, she said, I'm beginning to feel like I'm uh, one of the angels, and you're Charlie. I only ever know your voice instructing me. But God damn. Can she follow orders? Here she is at the Risk Show in Los Angeles. It's Helen Hong with a story we call Where There's Smoke. Oh, I could look for inspiration, find it in the charm of an English station. But what had that be cheap and ill informed? And I could bet you don't believe me if I said it came from deep within me. But I promise you I'm I had a really sheltered childhood, really, really sheltered, because my parents are immigrants. They're Asian, by the way, in case you just so we're all on the same page. They are Asian immigrants, and um, of the worst variety. They're Korean, which, like, they came over in, in the 70s, and in the Korea of the 70s, uh, as a woman, you were a whore if you showed sh- your shoulders. Like, literally, women had to, like, cover up their arms because back then you were just a raging slut. So my parents came over and just saw all these women with bare shoulders and was like, ah, heathens! Everyone is a whore in America! So they just really totally shut down and raised us really, really sheltered. And, uh, like, and so I didn't... I got no information about anything. Like, this is how sheltered I was. Uh, I got my first period when I was really young. I was 10, which is crazy young for those of you that don't have periods. Um, it's like, I'm playing with Care Bears and suddenly I'm a, mo- I'm a woman, what? And this is how little I knew about it. Uh, at first I thought I had shit my pants, but then it happened two days in a row. And I was like, that is so odd. So I tell my mom, and this is how my mom chooses to explain womanhood to her clueless 10-year-old child. She goes, Helen. You have to be careful around men now. That's it. That's all she says. And then she leaves. So that's how sheltered I was. And what happens when you're sheltered uh, is you either go along with it and you're just like, okay, I'm just a sheltered under a rock kind of person. Or you try to rebel in any way that you can. So when I was 14, I made a, a very rebellious friend, Rachel. She was two years older than me. She was uh, like my physical opposite. She had blue eyes and like really, really curly blonde hair. She had kissed boys before. I was like, oh my God, you're like magic. (laughs) She was like my unicorn in high school. I was like, oh my God, you're amazing. You're like an elf. Uh, So I just, I wanted to be exactly like her and she was very rebellious and she smoked cigarettes. And so I too started smoking cigarettes at the age of 14. Now, um, I grew up in a house where, like, I didn't have, you know, at the age of 14, I didn't have a lock on my door. Like, my parents were routinely just, like, I had never hidden anything from them, ever. So I didn't even know where to begin to hide stuff from them. So I have this pack of Marlboro Lights. 
which is like the first pack of cigarettes I've ever bought. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm such a badass. Where am I going to hide it? So I pick the like newbiest place to hide anything, uh, which is between the mattress and the box spring. Uh, which, in retrospect, is the worst possible place I could have hidden anything because at this uh, stage, my mom was still regularly changing my sheets. So she had, like, a weekly appointment to go rummaging in between the mattress and the box spring. And I'm like, genius, I have a hiding place. So one day I'm at home in the living room and I hear these, like, mad dash footsteps just, like, storming across the upstairs. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, what's going on? My mom comes running down the stairs. She stops halfway in the middle of the flight of steps and she has my pack of Marlboro Lights in her hand. And I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> and she goes, Helen, what is this? What is it? <laughs> now, I remember like time just stopped because I'm trying to think of all my options right now in my mind. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. What to do? Option A, which is the obvious option, is to lie. Just blatantly lie and just be like, there are Rachels. Because she already knew I had this devil white friend, Rachel. She already hated her. And it could have easily been like, oh my God, they're that evil white devil friend of mine. Cigarettes. I'm just holding them for her so that her mom doesn't find them. So that was option A. Then option B is to just be like, yeah, motherfucker, I'm a smoker, bitch. What's up? Suck it. And I remember thinking, okay, you know what? I'm going to take a stand here. I'm 14. I'm going to take a goddamn stand against these oppressive parents of mine and be like, yeah, they're my cigarettes. So that's what I ended up saying. And holy shit. I had no idea that it was going to open the gates of hell. (laughs) So my mom leaps down the rest of the flight of stairs, still clutching this box, this little pack of Marlboro Lights. She runs into the middle of the living room. She drops down on her knees and starts beating her chest. (laughs) With the pack of Marlboro Lights. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but... um, Chest beating is a South Korean Olympic sport. (laughs) It goes archery, and then speed skating, and then chest beating, and then maybe table tennis is really... South Koreans are very well-versed. We we regularly medal in this sport. And my mom is like a champion. So she's beating, beating her chest with this pack of Marvelites going, Gia, 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 Gia which means Jesus, 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 Jesus. (laughs) And I'm like, wide-eyed. I'm like, holy shit. I had no idea that this was the extent of the drama that was going to ensue. My little sister, who's eight years old at the time, is like quivering in the corner going, oh my God, what's Helen done now? (laughs) My mom points a shriveled finger at my sister and she goes, Amy! Call your daddy! (laughs) Tell him to come home from work! He doesn't have to work anymore! She smokes! (laughs) Like, this is what, you know, like, because I had smoked, now, like, it was the apocalypse was upon us. Like, he doesn't have to work anymore, the rent doesn't have to be paid, fuck the bills. (laughs) The world is over officially because she smokes cigarettes. Um, so my dad does come home early 
at like <laughs> two in the afternoon. And now I'm like faced with my dad sitting steely silent, clutching this pack of Marlboro Lights in his cold fingers. And it's just, I'm like, holy shit, I had no idea. Like if I had known I could go back in time like three hours, I'd be like, they're totally Rachel's. <laughs> so this is what my dad ends up saying after a long silence. He goes, hello, what is this? Is this marijuana? <laughs> I'm like, what? He's like, eat this marijuana! Like, this is how naive my parents were. They had made the leap from, like, me smoking cigarettes to suddenly now I'm, like, sucking cock in an alley. <laughs> I'm pregnant with four different dudes. I'm, like, a crack whore. Like, I'm, you know, doing heroin. Like, just from, you know, because they had grown up in such a sheltered way. And in the 70s of Korea, like, no woman smoked. So if you were a smoker, forget it. You were definitely, a, you know, a sucking cock. So, so now he's made the leap of logic in his mind that if I'm smoking Marlboro Lights, that I must, there must be marijuana in it. And I just thought it was so funny that he kept saying it over and over like that. I'm like, what are you, Latin? He's like, marijuana, eat this marijuana. And I'm 14. I've never heard of marijuana. I don't know what marijuana looks like. I'm like, holy shit. I don't even know what you're saying. Uh, as an aside, years later, this is how to this day they are still so naive about marijuana. I took my mom recently to the Venice Beach boardwalk, which for those of you that don't know, we, we all know... Uh, Weed is basically legal in California, only you need a doctor's prescription. And uh, there's all the, the cush doctors that are lining up on the Venice Beach boardwalk and these teenage kids in like lab coats going, come on in, it's legal, get a prescription, come on in, come on in. So I take my mom to the Venice Beach boardwalk and she's like, Helen, what is it, what are they? And I'm like, mom, it's marijuana. To which my mom starts like mimicking the like coke snorting <laughs> action, and she goes, oh, "Marijuana, <laughs> marijuana," and I'm like, "Mom, that's not exactly how you do it." <laughs> so then she starts like tapping her arm, like as if like a her doing shooting heroin. She's like, "Marijuana, <laughs> marijuana." Tapping her arm, I'm like, "That's not exactly how you do it either." So I bought her a joint. She's trying to snort it as we speak. <laughs> Um, in, in retrospect, like, that was the first time I think I really, like, took a stand and decided that I was going to be like, yeah, I'm going to stand up to these oppressive parents and I'm just going to own up to it and I'm going to be my own person and I'm going to be, like, an American teenager like all my friends. And I had no idea that it was going to unleash the freaking tidal wave of Korean, like, psychopath parenthood. And uh, from that point on, I never told my parents the truth about anything. <laughs> Anytime they call, I would come home after having smoked a pack of cigarettes. And what I would do before I would go home is I would go to Rachel's house and like dump a bottle of perfume on me. And I'd come home, my mom would be like, oh my God, why do you stink like perfume? I'd be like, oh my God, I had an accident with the perfume bottle, mommy. It was terrible. And she'd be like, go take a shower. I'd be like, see ya. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that's the story of me uh, never telling the truth again to my parents. <laughs> Thank you so much.
This is Essential Machine with a song called Broken Record. Now, in just a few moments, we're going to check in with our two lunatic hosts of the Risk Live show in Los Angeles, Pete Holmes and Kumail Nanjiani. I have to say, no one quite hosts a show the way these two do together. Uh, You can pretty much be assured that whoever is on the lineup of a Risk show in Los Angeles, the hosts are going to definitely be one of the highlights. And they pretty much do everything just right off the cuff. Anyway, Kumail did tell a story at the last Risk Live show, and Pete kind of chimed in throughout. So we're going to feature that in just a second. We call that one the backstabber. But first, one more walk down memory lane in honor of this, our 100th episode. See how many of these little nuggets from Risk's past ring a bell. And let these be a reminder You should be telling all your friends about this show. Oh, my aching balls, my aching balls. What the fuck do you want? He just turned to some, what the fuck do you want? <laughs> and I lie down on the driveway and I go, look at me, I'm Moby Dick. And I squeeze really hard. And this brilliant crystalline arc of water shoots, issues forth in a jet from my butthole. And I'm realizing that, I'm, that, wasn't, the, that wasn't the throw up that makes everything better. So I feel the dick meet on the diaper. I'm like, oh my God, I need a career change at that point. And then it's just, boom, the world's angriest vagina. I get on top of her and I put it in her. (laughs) She puts her hand on my chest and goes, you're in my ass. As a little girl, like little girls, like butts are gross. Like, that is where poop comes out of. That is what a butt is. But for a little boy, a butt is like, they see a butt and they're like, oh, there's this small crease, this space at the bottom that it seems like my nose would fit into perfectly. And I finally twist around and I look up at him and I said, hey, babe, could you not grab my fat while we're fucking? And he shoves my head back down to the pillow and grabs my belly again with the other hand and goes, shut up, I like it. And I was like, just totally like came on the spot, like squirted all over the place. And I said, I'm about to be fucked by a lady with a strap on. And he said, oh, sweetheart, just be safe. And I said, well, of course I'll be safe. It's just a dildo. And he said, well, I guess I mean, don't break any bones. The mob guy leans over to Frank and he goes, hey, Frank, where's the unicycle? Frank goes, that's a unicycle. Guy goes, you trying to fuck me? And he goes, no, you asked for a unicycle, that's a unicycle. He goes, that half a broken bicycle's a unicycle? And Frank goes, yeah, yeah, it is. And he goes, that ain't a unicycle. A unicycle is that horse with the horn. (laughs) 
Franco's, that ain't a unicycle, that's a unicorn. And the guy Franco said, unicorn don't exist. He goes, well, it better fucking exist or I'm killing that goddamn clown right now. In the same week as that happening, my washing machine broke. And... (laughs) Fuck you, this is my life. (laughs) And I came up with the phrase, y'all got hamboo? And for the 15-minute ride home, we were just saying it over and over and over. Y'all got hamboo? Y'all got hamboo? Y'all got hamboo? And straight out of her, this area shot like all the innards. I guess it was all on my new Banana Republic clothes in my shoes. It was freezing. It was freezing. So instantly, I, I like, like, man, fuck this, daddy. What the fuck is going on, man? Straight up. Straight up, daddy. What does one do when you're in what you perceive to be a life and death situation? Mom! Mommy! Help, Mom! Are you, are you doing all right? And he goes, you know what? To be honest, I don't remember getting in this car. (laughs) What? Yeah, I I just kind of realized we were in a car and I was driving it. And I reached down like I'm picking a wedgie and I was wearing thigh highs, not full tights, so when I scoot my leotard, there's nothing between my crotch and the night. And I... I scooted over, and I'm listening, I'm nodding, our eyes are entwined, and I pee. And it felt so good. I felt like I was serving it to Pocahontas, I'm serving it to this lady. And for two seconds, I'm feeling high on life, like, wow, I'm going to do things. I don't care what I can't do, I can do this. Boo! Why are you still up there? You're a piece of shit! You're a piece of shit. A human being said that to me. Now I did not... I did not win the crowd back to my side with my witty rejoinder, Sir, if I didn't know any better, I'd swear you were trying to hurt my feelings. Who talks like that? I was most surprised that he had no shame because this was the smallest penis that I had ever seen in my entire life. It looked like a little pig dick. Pig dick is all I can keep thinking. And if you're lucky enough to know someone where you don't even have to speak, you can just look at them and know exactly what they're talking about, well then laugh it up because that's as good as it fucking gets. I'm done. Clap. Uh, so, uh, uh, I'll tell this quick story about Impulse. Um, uh, I'll ruin it. <laughs> yeah. I had a very, very conservative Muslim upbringing. Very conservative. This was in Pakistan. We were told, when I was a little kid, when I was eight, I was told that looking at a woman with a lustful gaze was the same sin, this is true, as stabbing the prophet's nephew in the back while he is praying. <laughs> 
I like how they got to that because they were like, well, it's as bad as stabbing the prophet's nephew. Oh, that's not bad enough. Maybe you. he's turned away because no. he's praying. Oh, that's now it. I feel bad for looking at that one. Yeah, so, so I was terrified of girls. And I remember very specifically, I have this specific moment. I was around 10. You know that Cindy Crawford commercial, the Diet Pepsi one? I remember I was, uh, uh, this, she's in the convertible and the hair is blowing in the breeze and she gets out and she's wearing these tight jeans and this Those tight jeans shirt. stab so many nephews. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I was like watching it like, because she like puts the money in the vending machine oh, and she I gets remember. this wet cylindrical can yep. then she puts it to her lips and I was like, I am stabbing the fuck out of the prophet's nephew right now. Well, but at that brain. point, I didn't know what sex was, you know? Like, I don't know what I would do if I was in a room alone. Like, probably just, like, squeeze her mole. I, I would do that today. That would be awesome today. But uh, then all that went away. My cousin gave me this videotape. Like, out of nowhere. I, I don't know what sex is or anything. He gives me this videotape. A pornographic videotape. Yeah. There's, there's some squeezing, but that's not the main event, you know. So I put it in. I saw it for 30 seconds, I put it out at a fever for two days. <laughs> I was like, I promised God. I literally looked up to the ceiling. I was like, I'll never do this again. Then two weeks later, I got curious, you know? I didn't give it a chance to develop. Sure. What is the motivation of these characters? <laughs> I put it in, and then you could say, so weird side note to this, this is a weird part of the story. Is so one of the tapes they gave me is a regular porn, like beginning to end, men, women, different combinations, you know, porn. But the pre this is completely true, but the preview before it, just a two-minute preview before it, was for a movie where the people uh, defecate on each other. You mean porn. <laughs> <laughs> it was way too early for me to see porn, but it's definitely way too early for me to realize that there was a fetish where people excreted in each other. That was Hitler's fetish, they say. Was it really? Yeah. I remember, well, first of all, what I love is that it's a regular porn, but that's the preview. Yeah. Like, they're like, do you like sex? Well, then you might like shitting on people. <laughs> do you like driving a car? Well, then maybe you want to drown in a submarine <laughs> that's on fire. Aren't you so glad that you're not into shit porn? I am. Oh, my God. Every what if I was like, that's it? <laughs> that's what I've been looking for. Cindy Crawford's great and all, but she has almost no shit on her face. <laughs> little to no shit. If I squint, I can pretend the mole is a little... Uh, wow, a little very dollop. good. Yeah, bringing it all back. Yeah, but honestly, this is true. Like, it happened to me so early. Like, I think of it a lot. Not in a sexual way. It's just a reference. That shit. I, yeah, like, I think some synapse in my brain formed, and it's just a reference that comes up. Yeah. Like, I'll see somebody run a red light, and I'm like, he ran a red light, but what do I know? Sometimes people shit on each other. <laughs> it's like my Hitler reference. Your world was flipped upside down. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, but back to the regular porn. Please, so I was watching yeah. it, and I would watch it whenever my parents were out at the house, uh, and I was getting better at it, you know? The porn? Better at not having to watch it for as long. Jane off. Yeah. <laughs> less and less time. Bringing it, bring so it to the finale. Each time, yeah. And like, then followed by the guilt-ridden shower, you know? Yeah. I just think I'm going to hell. It's all part of it. But it's a strong... It is all part of it. It's of the course. thing I'm like, this is awesome. What have I done? Yeah. You know, sex. It's an eight ball. Yeah, it's heroin an eight ball. And coke. 
So I just feel uh, this fucking thing of that's, but it's like that's the impulse, you know? It's like the impulse that's like let our species to fucking evolve and survive. I'm just a 10-year-old boy with a dick. I can't fight that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I was watching this tape, and uh, sometimes the electricity goes. And when right. the electricity goes, you don't know if it's gone for five minutes or if it's gone for five days. One day I'm at home alone. It's the afternoon. My mom's running errands. I'm almost done, you know? I'm watching this v- VHS, and the, the electricity goes. Pulling in. Yeah. <laughs> the electricity goes, and I am fucked because I can't get the tape out of the VCR. <laughs> yeah, and I start freaking out, and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to have to run away. <laughs> I'm just going to pack my bags and walk the earth, which sucks because I love my parents, and I'm like 11. <laughs> like, what am I going to do for money? Just go town to town? Any work needs doing? I can beat Mario and draw a Ninja Turtle. <laughs> Do you have any openings? I remember specifically being like, oh, I'll steal my dad's business suit. That way, I can grow into it and then go on job interviews. So my whole plan is to ride out the next 10 years on the streets of Karachi, which CNN once called City of Terror. That is true. BBC was much kinder. They called a City of Nightmares. Which at least implies that we have dreams, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Completely true. So then I was like... It's a difficult Call of Duty level. Yeah, I was like, I can't do that. It is, but I know all the hiding spots. (laughs) Hey, hide in there. I used to rent movies at this place. (laughs) Mr. Siddiqui will give us shelter. (laughs) So, I... But then I have this idea, I can't run away. I get my dad's toolkit. I'm like, I'll, be, oh, oh, I'll open up the VCR and just get the tape out. Okay. How, so I take the cover off and I don't know what I, I thought I'd just be able to get the tape right out. Just like pick it up off the velvet cushion it's sure. sitting on. There's no velvet cushion. It's buried in layers and layers of parts. So, so I'm like, I have to get to, cause the hard thing for me is I have to, I'm like, I'll just have to get to the tape. So I just unscrew, I pull everything out. And they're like, it's like that small. There's a hundred parts, that small. I'm like, I'll be able to put this back together. <laughs> it's not like engineers made this thing, <laughs> which is exactly who had made it. <laughs> so I get it out. I finally get to the tape. I rip it out and I look behind me and the whole floor is covered in tiny VCR parts. I have no fucking idea how they go back. So I'm putting everything back and it's very difficult. I'm sweating into the VCR. Uh, I wish I'd taken notes, diagrams, something. I finally get everything in. I put the cover on. I screw it. Success. And then I look behind me. And there are two little parts <laughs> just sitting there. I have no idea where they go. So I go and I hide them. Because in my head, I think if my dad sees them, he's going to know exactly what happened. <laughs> you know, he's like, isn't that the transmogrifier for the VCR? And that's the flux capacitor. You've been watching porn. <laughs> So the VCR works after that, but it's never the same, you know? It's got this look in its eyes like it's been through a war, you know? Oh, you haven't seen the things I've seen. Charlie! It just says Charlie. The fast forward doesn't always work. It makes this clicking sound all the time. So a couple weeks later, my mom's like, oh, I'm gonna take you to get it fixed. I'm like, no, 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 I'll take you to get it fixed. So I take it to the guy and I give it to the VCR repair guy and he plugs it in, and it starts making that clicking sound. And it's the sound he's heard before. 
And he looks at me and he leans in and he says, next time you get a tape stuck in there, bring it to me. I won't tell your parents. <laughs> I thought of all the clicking sounds in all the houses where little Pakistani boys had ripped tapes out of VCRs. <laughs> Completely true. He knew he, right away what had happened. That's fantastic. I really liked your story. Thanks, Pete. <laughs> you want to hear a weird a PS to that story that won't be in the podcast? Yeah, sure. Later, I, when I got like 14, I got like really bold. You know how you could hook up VCRs and uh, record stuff onto? I started uh, recording my favorite scenes in the middle of like kid VHSs that I owned. Like, you mean kid porn? No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I put regular porn in the middle of kid porn. <laughs> Because porn is okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very complicated religion. Sure. A <laughs> lot of ins, a lot of outs. Um, <laughs> so, no, but like, like Roger Rabbit. I would record all my copies of all my movies had like porn in the middle. So like Roger Rabbit like takes a total left turn. <laughs> they abandon the Toontown plot. <laughs> and then the way they play patty cake is very different. <laughs> Then I would like, I would like give a, 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 a loan videos to my friends. I was like the porn supplier. <laughs> I was making boner jams when I was like 14. And it was awesome for them because it was just like Jurassic Park, you know? It's like a reverse Trojan horse. They could just take it, parents don't care. But the fucking best thing I did with that, this is true, the best thing I did is, uh, okay, you guys know the movie Mask? I don't, mean, I don't mean Jim Carrey with the green face. I mean like Cher with the kid with the big face, you know? I gave my friend the movie Mask with porn in the middle. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. I gave him the movie Mask and I told him there was porn in the middle. But there was no porn. It was a prank. So he became the first guy in history to watch the entirety of Mask with an erection. No porn, just a disfigured kid touching lives and then dying. He called me afterwards and he was like, I'm not even angry, that was great. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> That's brilliant. The weird post, uh, the, what happened after that is like, I moved away from Pakistan and then my mom sold all my VHSs. <laughs> so there's some little kid in Pakistan watching Dick Tracy, like, this movie gets really good. <laughs> just about wraps up our 100th episode. This is Bright Idea by Mother Mother. I want to give a shout out to a couple fans of ours. First, 
Chris and Ann Hoffman. We asked if anyone out there on the podcast could give us a ride from Boston to Albany this past weekend, and they came through, and they couldn't have been more delightful. We all shared stories. Wonderful people. Then there's Jamie Thompson, who has helped us so much uh, putting together our shows in Albany. We love Jamie, and we hope to be doing many more shows in Albany. Finally, there was a Risk fan named Patrick who stopped us after the show in Boston this past weekend to tell us that he really felt that Risk saved his life, like really lifted his spirits and got him through an extremely rough patch. And I was so honored that he shared that story with us. Oh, and the Risk fan who left the most recent comment on iTunes. He said, uh, Kevin's a perv, but Risk is awesome. (laughs) I could not agree more. Don't forget, on September 23rd, we are at the Riot Festival in Los Angeles with Kamau Bell, Maria Bamford, Steve Agee, and Beowulf Jones. And at thestorystudio.org, I am teaching a one-day storytelling for business workshop on uh, October 7th. If you're wondering why we're calling this our 100th episode and there's only 98 episodes in your iTunes feed, it's because there are two all-star episodes that you can purchase on iTunes. And if you don't use iTunes, if you have an Android phone or something like that, write to me at kevin at risk-show.com. I'll see if I can set you up with those episodes in another fashion. And with that, I think there's just one more thing to say. Folks, today is the day. Take a risk. I don't think this will get laughs, but one of the hardest times both of us have ever laughed <laughs> was hypothesizing a movie. Oh, yeah. We had an idea for a sci-fi movie. <laughs> we were like, what if there's like a family alien movie about like an alien that crashes in Indiana? Pretty high budget. And it's high budget. It's nice. Really good aliens. <laughs> it's nice. Very, this movie's nice. <laughs> Real it's good actually, look. that's important. It's like a beautiful CGI, like Paul, you know, like kind of like a great alien. It's like, yeah, but it's a story, you care about this alien. There's like 80 minutes of regular movie. <laughs> great, like a movie, like you're in. What's going to happen? You love What's it. What's going to happen? And then at one point, the alien and like one of the other characters fuck. <laughs> this human woman, but they start Fucking. Like, fucking. And all of a sudden, it's not even HG anymore. And he's not like a CG. He's just a guy in like blue makeup. He's sweating through the makeup. He's like looking right into the camera. You like that, don't you? He's got like a Brooklyn Queens accent. His dick is not even blue. It's just like a human colored dick. His makeup is smearing. He's like, you like that? Yeah! Right into the camera. And then the movie resumes as if nothing happened. (laughs)
laughed so hard. We were like, we have to get $200 million just to convince people, just to see the faces of the people in the movie theater. They're like, what is happening? What happened? Just a his fucking helmet is sliding. Yeah. Like, yeah, his orange hair is dripping. One of his contact lists falls out. So, so one's like a cat eye, one's just a person eye. Just a dude's eye. No effort is made. No effort. Just a hardcore 15 minute sex scene. Shot on VHS. Yeah, there's tracking lines. <laughs> we should make that. I've never laughed so hard. <laughs> we kept doing an impression of the guy fucking for so long. Just me and you alone in a room, air fucking. <laughs> laughing. Looking into the camera. I hate when they do that, by the way. Like, don't look at me when I'm at my worst, you know? Uh-huh. Where, yeah, they're like, yeah. yeah. Oh, come on. If there's another guy filming, he's like, yes, macro. I don't like when he gets into yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Stay yeah. off. Fucking yeah. don't. Fucking I hate when the hand comes in sometimes. Take wow. it easy, Scorsese. Thank you. <laughs> guys, thank you so thank much you for so being much, here. Guys.